Amen. Happy Resurrection Day, church. Happy Resurrection Day. First off, I just want to thank Liberty Church for, for allowing me here today. During the past year, I've had the privilege of befriending Pastor Noah. And I had no idea what God had in store for our relationship. But I am certainly happy that I'm here today. And when I first visited this church, I loved it. And I was sitting there in the congregation, and I never thought I would have the privilege of preaching from this pulpit. So I have to say that it is an honor to be here and I love you all for doing this. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, sound team. Thank you, all those that were a part of this. It means a lot to us that you helped us go live in this way, in a special way. It is awesome. And uh, before I get started, I just want us to open our Bibles up to Romans 4, 9 through 13. And I'll give you a moment to, to open your Bibles. So Romans 4, 9 through 13. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after. But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the uncircumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Easter is one of my favorite holidays. That goes without being said. I hope all of us love this holiday next to Christmas. For many of, uh, for many of us regular churchgoers, we notice an increase of attendance. So that's always a really good thing. And we also notice that people want to get baptized on this day. So we see a lot of people that want to do really good works on this day because it's a day. And since, it's the beginning of, since the beginning of the year, our church has been going through the book of Romans. And we landed here as a church. And at first glance, it might seem like Easter and what we've been going through as a society has absolutely nothing to do with this verse. But as I continue to study this, these verses... And as I continued to prepare this message, I realized that God had this message prepared on purpose. And it was specifically for today because many churches during this time are baptizing people and many churches are partaking in sacraments that, and good works that they feel are making them right with God. Similarly, in the context of the, uh, Romans 9, Romans 4, 9 through 13. The Jews in this context thought that circumcision was what justified them. As we read this text, we will learn together that circumcision, baptism, 
or any good work for that matter does not justify anyone. And I know I'm throwing that word around, right? I'm throwing that word around and I just want to be clear with you. And let's quickly define the word justification. For those of you that don't know, justification is when we are pronounced righteous before God through Christ. And we're going to get deeper into that. And I'm going to let you know what that means exactly. And we're really going to unlock the word justification. But just to get started, I want you to have a simple definition. So because we are sinners, salvation can only come through if God acts to justify. Because the requirement of God is perfection. So if he sees us as a sinner, it's not going to work. He has to see us righteous. So that's what it means to be justified when we are pronounced righteous through Christ. A lot of us are doing good works. And a lot of us are doing things that appear to be righteous during this time of Easter and COVID-19 and all of these things, right? And, 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 and desiring to be baptized. But we are, just, we are just clarified that the act itself does not justify anyone. So what exactly is circumcision? What exactly is baptism? What exactly are the sacraments that we are partaking in as a church? We know we're doing all these good works, and we know we're, we're, we're trying to become right with God, but what exactly are the sacraments? According to this text, point one of this sermon, according to the text, circumcision is a sign and a seal. What does verse 11 say? He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So point one, signs and seals. If you don't remember anything, I have purposely created the points to be all S's. So signs and seals. Okay? The act of circumcision wasn't what saved, but it was a sign that you have been saved. Not the act, but it was God's work in you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So let's talk about signs for a minute. What do, a sign, what is, what do signs do? I go to church all the way in Brooklyn, and when I'm coming back from Brooklyn, I see a sign that says what? Forget about it. Right? It's one of the, mo the world's famous signs. And it's a sign that people utterly enjoy to read. Right? So what does that sign do? It's not that I have to drive directly into the sign and bump my head on the sign to get, to get away from Brooklyn to go into Staten Island. No. The sign points to something greater than itself. It's pointing to something beyond itself. So in the same way, the sign of circumcision pointed to the covenant that God has made with his people. It's not the sign that justified people, but it was pointing to the covenant that God made with his people. Every time you see that sign, it is a reminder. In, in our context, we have circumcision, we have baptism, we have many other sacraments that the church partakes of, but they simply signify the promise of God to all who believe. They are a sign it is not mandatory for salvation, but it is a sign we should all desire to display for the whole world to see. But in, this, in these verses, verse 11, it doesn't just say that it's a sign. It also says that it's a seal. Abraham was not justified by works because God declared him just 
even before he was circumcised. The sign pointed to the circumcision was a sign of justification by faith alone. So back in the, in the context of these verses, the king would wear a ring. And in that ring, it would have a seal with wax. And he would, he would seal the bottom of the document to authorize what was, what was in the document. He would authorize it. And the seal itself represented the king's authority. And the seal itself, it was sealing the covenant inside of the document. Similarly, in, in, in what we experience in church, baptism is an outward sign showing others who we live for and pointing others to Christ, but is also symbolically sealing our hearts with a new covenant in Jesus Christ, declaring to the world the circumcision of our hearts and the sealing of our heart with Christ's imputed righteousness, making us justified before God. Um, Just to kind of bring another example into play. So here, I have a wedding ring. If all of you can see this, right? Just because I'm wearing the wedding ring does not mean that I'm married. It just means that I'm wearing a wedding ring. The wedding ring is a sign of the covenant that I made with my wife, and it seals the deal. But there are people that wear wedding rings to stay away from people, right? That, that, try to stay, that, that try to go on vacation and just kind of stay by themselves a little bit, right? And so they wear it on purpose. That doesn't mean they're married. In the same way that we can do the things that make us appear righteous, but actually not have a relationship with God. So in, in, the, in these terms, in, in these verses that we're reading, we see that the Jews wanted to do circumcision as an act that I'm good with God. And that's, as, that's like me saying I'm going to be baptized but have no relationship with God at all. So just to be clear, like a wedding band, it seals the deal and it is a sign of the covenant I made with my wife. The covenant, I mean the, the, the sacraments that we partake of within the church are signs and seals of the covenant that God has made with us to redeem us through his son Jesus. A person who trusts in circumcision or baptism or any other sacrament for that matter nullifies the work of Christ on his behalf. He places himself under the law. And like I said before, if the requirement is perfection, then we are 110% of the time going to fail. It's humanly impossible. What does Galatians 5.6 say? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. So it's not the actions that we do. It's not the good works that we do. It's not the fact that we got baptized that made us righteous before God. We can see that evident as early as Genesis. Some commentators say that that Abraham was justified 15 to 25 years before he was circumcised. So that means that, that the circumcision was a sign and a seal, but it did not, <coughs> excuse me, it did not justify him. We see that through Abraham, that he was justified through what? Through faith. 
So that leads us to the next point. We know that circumcision and baptism and thing we experience, the, 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 the sacraments that we experience as a church, that they're signs and seals. That was point one. But now we're at point number two. The text is an image pointing to our satisfying Savior who died and resurrected from the dead. It ties in with Easter. The, the verse is pointing to what we're celebrating today. Circumcision pointed us to the sacrifice of the flesh, an image of our Savior's sacrifice. We're going we're gonna to tell you how else it is an image of our Savior's sacrifice a little bit later in the sermon. But right now, I want us to focus in on the sacrifice of the flesh. The act of circumcision was a sacrifice of the flesh, and it was an image pointing us from the beginning to Jesus Christ, pointing us to the wonderful realities of our Savior's sacrifice. Without His fleshly sacrifice, there would have been no resurrection. And our entire relationship with God would be false if there would be no, if there would be no fleshly sacrifice. Thank God the resurrection is a fulfillment of prophecy. Thank God it declared his deity. Because if he did not fleshly sacrifice, and he did not raise from the dead, he would not have proven himself God. Thank God that it certified his messiahship. And it completed his victory over sin. And it enabled him to share with us eternal life. And in the context of our text, it enabled him to share his own righteousness through justification with us. I want to tell you that a lot of people go to hell that have completely stopped habitual sins. A lot of people go to hell that have been baptized. A lot of people go to hell that have been circumcised. You see, Christianity is not centered on works, but it is centered on Christ and his substitutionary death where he bled, he suffered on the cross, and paid in full the atonement. Here we go, the satisfying Savior to satisfy God's holy justice and pay the penalty for our sin. True Christianity is the only religion in the entire world that teaches of a God who has done all the work on our behalf to make us right before him. It is the only religion in the world. It is the only religion. So if we know that God has done everything on his side to make us right before him. And we know that all we need is saving faith. All we need is the faith that Abraham had, right? So what, the, the point three of this sermon, obtaining, saving faith. Let's read verse 11. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In this text, it seems awfully confusing, but it's not. Abraham is considered to be the father of all belief, and technically he is the father racially to the Jews, 
But the text is taking it one step further. It's saying that he is the father to us spiritually. It's saying, the text is taking it a little deeper. He's, it's saying that Abraham is our spiritual father in a sense that God imputed his righteousness on him and was justified by faith alone. There was nothing particularly special about Abraham. There was nothing special about him when God chose him. In fact, he was raised in a pagan family. His justification was purely a gift from God, given by the sovereign God. We can have faith. Like Sean talked about last week, there is faith. Even the demons believe in Jesus. And there is a faith that Sean talked about last week in James 2 that is false. A faith that is merely a belief and not transformational. Saving faith is God's to give, but only whose hearts have been circumcised. Our hearts need to be circumcised. Whose lives have been transformed for the glory of God. Yes, and we can have assurance that we are recipients of the saving faith that was given to Abraham, our spiritual father. We need faith in that. Transformational faith in Christ applies to our lives. The doctrine that Sean touched on last week. And I want to bring it back again. I want to bring clarity to that doctrine. The doctrine of double imputation. Simply put, I know that's, that word sounds huge, right? But it is a very important doctrine because when applied to your life and when applied to your beliefs, it will give you the saving faith that Abraham had. See, double imputation, simply put, our sins were imputed on Christ, on the cross, and in exchange, His righteousness was given to us through faith in Him, only through faith in Him. I know some of you have never heard the word imputed, so I want to define it for you as well. So on the slide, you're going to see the definition. The righteousness of Christ is attributed to them as to be considered their own. It's to be considered your own. It's righteousness given to you where God sees you through the righteousness of Christ and it filters your sins when you have faith in Jesus. Double imputation. When you believe in that, you believe in the saving faith that He endured your sins and through that process, gave you a way to then give you his righteousness when you have faith in his realities. The beautiful reality of justification. And that's what this entire text is about. And the beautiful reality of the gospel is that it's not about what you have done or will do for God. It is about having faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because it's Easter, I know there are a lot of people that are listening that normally would not listen. And I want to take a moment to talk to you and, 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 and bring you into this. I love you. And I want to take a moment to talk to you and tell you that God loves you as his created being. And you are watching this. And in God's providence, providence you have an opportunity to listen to this message. And God offers you a wonderful plan for your life. I want to make that clear. He offers it. it. So often we say God has a wonderful... God is offering you 
a wonderful plan for your life. He's offering it. He, but it's offering it to you when you, when you are living a life and he's calling you to live a life of repentance and faith. It's not just a plan that he has for your life, an eternal plan. He is offering you this plan and he wants you to accept faith in Jesus Christ who has done this for you. You have an opportunity to be adopted into God's family so that you are loved not just as his creation, but he will become your heavenly father and you will have relationship with your creator. Christ came so that you can have an abundant life in him. And don't get me wrong here. I don't want to to go along with all these videos that you're hearing on Facebook and this prosperity gospel. An abundant life in Christ does not mean that you won't get sick. It does not mean that you will be rich. It does not mean that you will not face the hardships of this life. But what it does mean and what it does ensure is your eternal life and your eternal relationship with God. Romans 4, 9-13 tells you that there is no prerequisites or good work mandatory to simply take a moment to open your hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people who have said, oh, my feet would burn if I walked into church. Oh, there's no way. I can't go in there. There are no prerequisites for you to open your heart to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This text not only gives us an opportunity to learn about saving faith, but it also reveals the last point of this sermon. So the first point was, what was circumcision? What is baptism, what we experience? It's a seal. It's a sign. The second point is this, this text constantly points us to our satisfying Savior. And the third point is how you can obtain this faith is by having faith in Jesus Christ who imputed his sin, who imputed our sins, and in return we get righteousness. Now this, this last point is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty revealed through the reading of Romans 4, 9 through 13. God sovereignly had a plan to show us Jesus Christ even from the beginning of time. We see that the Bible is pointing us to Jesus Christ from the beginning of, of Genesis. And it should be no surprise that once again, he is doing it again through the covenant he had with Abraham. He is pointing us to Christ. He was sovereign over that. He knew exactly what he was doing to point us to Christ from the beginning of time. God sovereignly chose to use circumcision as an image of Christ. Let me explain. I told you about the fleshly sacrifice. But now, in that fleshly sacrifice, there was human pain and suffering. There was fleshly sacrifice. There was the required act of obedience. And they all point a picture of Christ on the cross and the redemptive plan to restore His people and make us right before Him. His sovereignty is also revealed when he used a man that didn't deserve it. He was raised a pagan family. 
to have such an important role in our history to be our spiritual father. And obviously, I cannot continue this sermon without touching on what's all in our heads and what we see on the news, and that's COVID-19. This text points us to a sovereign creator, a God that has never failed us, not even once. This text points us to the reality of God and that God is sovereign over what we are going through as well with COVID-19. God did not choose Abraham because he was special and because he had special abilities, because he, uh, he got circumcised or because he followed any other sacrament. Simply put, God chose Abraham because he wanted to and because it was in his perfect will to do so. He is in control of every aspect of our lives, but he demands obedience. And when God spoke to Abraham, he listened. When God promised Abraham, he believed. And when God spoke, he trusted, especially when it came to this specific thing of circumcision, he trusted him. God is sovereign over COVID-19 and every other hardship that we can face in our life just as much as he was sovereign over Abraham and the situation that he was in as well. But I know that people say it's scary to trust God. It's scary to trust God. I know that it's scary, and I agree with you. It's scary. The unknown is scary. But can you imagine how scary it was for Abraham and his men to obey God with that command to circumcise themselves? They, they had sharp rocks. They had no antibiotics. They had no hospital. They had no painkillers. And I'm sure they had some panic, like, Abraham, you're telling me to do what now? Are you out of your mind? But yet they still listened and they did it. They still did it. They obeyed. God has placed a call on our lives as well. Will we listen? That command is simple in times like these. During COVID-19 and every other challenging time in our lives, trust him and trust that he can do things that we never could imagine. Do we just want to pretend like we love God by going to church and, and doing the sacraments and getting baptized and saying that we love God and saying that we trust Him, but in our hearts we don't have a real relationship with Him. This is not to say that good works don't glorify God. And this is not to say that, that He doesn't want us to do those things. In fact, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. However, good works do not justify you. Again, justifying us is declaring us righteous before a holy God that demands it. It doesn't make us right before God, but of course they go hand in hand with a transformed heart. What does Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. I want to bring clarification on this. You can do good works, and you could do the sacraments, and you could do all of these things that make you appear righteous and not have a relationship with the Savior. 
But you cannot have a relationship with the Savior and not do good works. In conclusion, there are many good works that we can partake in as Christians. But are our works in response to our love for God and a desire for an obedient heart? Or is our faith in the works as if they have the ability to save? Do you want the sign? Do you want the seal? Do you want the symbol? Or do you want the Savior? Now, just to, to step away from this for a second, the last two days was, was Good Friday and Holy Thursday. We never do a benediction because it did not end there. For if it ended there, and if it ended on Christ on the cross, Jesus on the cross, our entire religion would be false. Our entire faith in God and our relationship with God would be false if he did not resurrect from the dead. It did not end with him on the cross. It ended with him defeating death and resurrecting from the dead. So our benediction would, will be tonight. Our final prayer will be tonight to close it, this off. But I want you to know that it ended well. Your Savior died for you and he rose from the dead being the only man to defeat death and raise from the dead and to prove his divine nature. So I, I welcome you to, to, you know, to come to the reality that you need to ask some questions and, and see where your heart is at, to see if you have a relationship with the Savior or if you're just doing good works just to try to make yourself appear righteous before him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord. There is none like you. What a beautiful reality that through faith in Christ Jesus, we are imputed with righteousness that we don't deserve. What a beautiful reality that you made a way when there was no way by sending your son to die for us and raised from the dead in order so that we can be righteous before you. If perfection is your requirement, Lord, I am the first to say that I am dearly sorry and I am the first to say, thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God that he defeated death and proved his divine nature, proved his, his kingship, proved that he was a part of the, 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 the triune God. Thank God. Thank God you made a way for us to have a relationship with you, Lord. We love you and praise you, and not just on Easter. I pray that we just don't praise you for the resurrection on Easter. Or praise you for your birth on Christmas. But I pray that we, that wonderful reality, that truth, would be echoed in our minds day in and day out. And that our hearts and mind would be transformed through the righteousness of Christ. So that we can live a life that brings you glory. I pray that when you look at us, that you would look at us and say, well done our good and faithful servant, the church who has stepped up during this COVID-19 pandemic, 
the church who has stepped up to continue to deliver God's truth where people are quarantined in their homes. So I do pray that more and more people are clicking on their computers and that it piques a curiosity in them to get to know you more because they realize that you have the power and that you have allowed this entire world to be shut down from this one virus. You are allowing that. And I find it to be gracious because you did not end it all. You did not destroy us. We deserve that. But no, you allowed this virus to help us all come and pause and realize that you are the one in control of every aspect of our lives. So I pray that the people who do not know you would now, through a result of this pandemic, that it would pique a curiosity in them and that they would continue to search for you. And I pray that anyone watching this that does not know you would not feel ashamed, but they would send an email, that they would write a message asking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that we are being fishers of men. I pray that lives would be transformed, not for our glory and not without credit, but for yours, for your glory alone. We love you and praise you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.